0: Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy bar chat podcast. This is Tristan Stevenson. Today, I am joined by René Flohr and Natasha Bermudez. René is programs manager for Diageo and a certified mental health practitioner based in New Orleans. Natasha is a well-known figure on the New York bar scene, having previously worked under Lynette Morero. Right now, she's heading up bar operations in a Peruvian Japanese restaurant in Brooklyn. Our discussion is centered around mental health in the industry. And we cover such topics as recognizing when you're suffering, the causes of mental health problems, how the current situation can impact us both physically and mentally, who to talk to when there's a problem, supporting colleagues and friends, exercise, meditation, breathing techniques, and much more. Okay, I am here remotely joined by Rene Fleur and Natasha Bermudez. Good to have you on. So, uh, Rene, you're, you're in New Orleans, right? I am. How is it there?
1: Quite hot. It's very hot these days in New Orleans, yes.
0: It's always hot whenever I go there. I mean, I'm normally there this time of year for Tales of the Cocktail, but sadly missed this year.
1: Yeah, we've got a whole bartending community that's missing Tales this year, and everybody's pretty, pretty upset that they don't get to see uh, all, of the, all of the industry professionals come into town and show them a good time
0: sad times I, though i think it's a good opportunity to actually just visit outside of tales of the cocktail time and see the city in a more sort of normal if it's such a thing normal state
1: well um yeah it's not super normal right now uh, our governor in louisiana has all of our bars shut down and we're not uh, allowed to do to-go drinks for, through the city so it's really different down here right now
0: Interesting. This is the thing. It's different situation for each state, right? So some places are open for business and some not so much, and then it's changing back and forward as the sort of situation changes, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, Natasha, you're in Brooklyn?
2: I am. Well, I'm in New York City right now. Okay. I'm in the city. <laughs> and how, it,
0: how, is, how are things in New York?
2: Um, I mean, you know New Yorkers, so we're going to make it work regardless <laughs> of the situation. So we've become – uh, very adapted to this uh, new type of summer, I guess, that we're having, where we can eat outside and drink outside. Um, so it's not horrible. Um, it could be worse. It truly could. And you know, we're just going to make it work until we can.
0: <laughs> well, that's the attitude, right? And I mean, this is a this this episode is, you know, a podcast where we're looking to talk a little bit about mental health um you know our you know our attitudes mindfulness de-stressing and all these kind of things and of course it's a particularly pertinent subject because you know working in and around the bar industry is is already quite taxing on the mind and the body um, but when you throw in the current situation it's adding a whole kind of new set of ingredients to this cocktail and and for many of us i think we're just not that well equipped to actually manage the situation and so it's sort of like learning how things are progressing day by day and trying to get a better understanding of of where we sit within this how we're feeling and then i guess acting upon it to to produce a more positive environment for ourselves and and our colleagues and friends um so first question um I'll fire this one over at you, Renee, if if that's okay. Um, how how do we go about recognizing when we're feeling stressed and like our well being is being affected?
1: Um, well, the first kind of way to way to do that is just to do a self check in. Really, um, we're I think that especially those of us in in this industry, our minds are constantly going to the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing, uh, especially with this increased anxiety, and so slowing down and just like kind of taking a breath and checking in with ourselves is really important by that. I mean, kind of giving yourself a, you know, a body scan, almost like going head to toes, right? Like what, where am I holding stress? Am I clenching my jaw? Are my shoulders tight? Um, Have are is, is am I holding some stress in my lower back that I've just been completely oblivious to um, until I actually sit down and take the chance to check in with myself. I think that that's, that's one of the first things is just doing a self check in um, and also noticing if you're starting to do things differently. If the things that used to make you happy or energize you um, are things that are kind of falling by the wayside and you're instead spending more time, um, you know, scrolling on social media or spending more time sleeping than you normally do. If you're you know, 12, you're normally used to seven or eight hours and now you're 12 or 13 um, and so kind of just trying to notice if your habits are changing um, or if you're, if you're kind of noticing different feelings in your body, I would say.
0: It's an interesting one because uh, normally when I think about my own mental health, I would tend to kind of psychoanalyze myself and think about where my thoughts are going. You know, it, have I, have I got a clear train of thought or is there, all, are there all these sporadic kind of um, ideas just coming in and out of my head? But the first point you raised is to actually look at yourself physically and see if there is some sort of physical manifestation of you know an unsettled feeling or poor mental health right like you say my jaw hurts because i'm gritting my teeth all day long because i'm pretty angry right and it's that wouldn't be the first um, sort of portal call that i would go to i wouldn't i wouldn't feel uh oh, you know, uh, something's wrong. So let's see which parts of my body hurt because um, that's probably as a result. You know, if, I, if I've got a bad back, I'd normally think to myself, well, I probably leaned over and picked something up wrong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just bartending. Just
0: your general bartending stuff, you know. Um, but it could be a sign of stress.
2: Yeah, a lot of,
1: a lot of our, our emotional symptoms come out physically, uh, especially if we're trying to ignore them. Uh, if we're not giving our, our emotional affect the kind of the, the time that it needs and processing them out, our body stores all of that stress. And so, so yeah, so checking in with it can be a really good a way of kind of like reconnecting and be like, oh, wow, I really have been, um, you know, more anxious than I've allowed myself to acknowledge or or uh, more angry, you know.
0: Okay. And um, what, I mean, where where do you think these sort of, these... This, this, these feelings are coming from anger, frustration. You know, what's the sort of main causes, and how can we uh, potentially affect, you know, change our environment or change the way we interact with it in order to stop them arising in the first place?
1: Well, uh, that's a big question because I think it's different for everybody. Uh, but my. You know i think the overwhelming blanket of where it's coming from especially for people in our industry is the ambiguity that we're all experiencing right now the not knowing um and that really amps us up uh because our bodies kind of go on high alert waiting you know all the changes that are happening constantly combined with the ambiguity of not knowing how long something's going to last when things are going to change things are changing day by day sometimes within hours um, and so it's like your body is preparing you, um, to, to have kind of like heightened responses to be able to, to, to manage this, this, whatever kind of comes our way. Um, and so I think with that level of ambiguity and just the constant changes, all of these feelings are kind of amped up and whatever your normal, uh, response would be like fight, flight, freeze, fidget, faint, like these, these kind of, um, I want to say like instinctual responses that our body elicits when we're when we're heightened and, and waiting to you know like if we think about way back when if if we sense danger our body our all of our all systems go in case we need to run and get out of there or fight something um and now we're just kind of living in that heightened arousal state because of the ambiguity and all of the constant changes
0: this it's worse than it, it it could have ever been right because or will have ever been in the past because we're now so connected with one another that, you know, one of the instinctual responses to this is to, um, I guess, kind of go on a, on, a, on, a, on a information discovery mission. Right. What can I find that's going to alleviate this anxiety? I know I'll, I'll head to social media, um, whatever that may mean. It could be a WhatsApp group. It could be Facebook. It could be anything. And I'll try and alleviate these symptoms of, you know, the unsettling and, 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 uh, anxiety by, you know, feeding myself information that might in some way make me better. But, you know, I, my, my kind of experience, and I'm pretty sure this is consensus now is that often social media just makes things worse. For
2: sure.
0: (laughs) What's your take? What's your take on the social media thing, Natasha?
2: I go in a rabbit hole. Um, I honestly, I've been doing a lot better since I'm back at work because I don't spend so much time on my phone, just constantly looking at new information that is, you know, popping out on social media, news alert, um, and just kind of try to concentrate on the moment. Uh, But then, you know, that second that you're like, okay, I'm going to sit down and have my lunch or my dinner for like five minutes and then I look at my phone and I'm like no why did I do that <laughs> and then it just becomes a conversation you know and then you just don't bring that information that you saw online into your work and it just kind of brings out this whole level of stress that you thought you could have like handled for the rest of the day and maybe like you know I'm just gonna think about it on my day off or just like concentrating here and I don't know where everybody's talking about it. And then the entire staff is just weighing out themselves, and um, you know, just it, it's a constant. Like, maybe we shouldn't talk about this, but it's so important. We want we have to be so conscious about what's happening right now. You know, uh, it's such a like responsibility about being socially and and not political uh, weak and, and and also like trying to understand that we're trying to provide um, a service, um, and if we're not happy if we're not like at a level that we can actually provide this service like it comes through our service and and then our guests become stressed and it's this whole like domino effect um so i try to not look at my phone at all when i'm at work now before i used to be like i'm gonna go to the bathroom i'll look at my phone now i'm like i don't
0: want to (laughs) the problem is that social media dynamic makes the conversation so fraught doesn't it you know because there's that sort of degree or two of separation and in some cases like complete anonymity really um it means that it's like road rage you know people kind of get angry so much more easily or it's like a town square you know with pitchforks and all that kind of thing everyone's shouting their opinion you know screaming uh, you know into this town square and, you, and and the problem now, of course, is that we get so much news through there as well. You know, we, we've effectively digest most of the outside world through this lens of social media. Um, and so it's, it's sort of got this addictive quality to it as well, because we know that it, it can be a force for good. It can do great things. You know, it, it helps us keep us connected with friends and colleagues. But then there's this tension to it as well, And it just sort of seeps into your day, doesn't it? It's like a constant background noise that um, causes us to pick up what is it like an average 150 times a day? Is that the average time the person looks at their smartphone?
1: And the other the other thing to remember is when we are kind of in this heightened state, uh, uh, in this anxious state, what happens is we have um, an attention bias. And so Whatever, however it is we're feeling, or whatever it is we're thinking about, or wherever our attention is going, we start seeking out other things in that same vein, right? And so, if you are um, really hyped up uh, about um, the Black Lives Matter movement here in in the U.S. and that is where your you know kind of attention has been has been going, then when you're scrolling through social media. You're paying more attention to those to the posts that are talking about Black Lives Matter. You're paying less attention to the posts that are maybe like puppies and kittens or
0: that are ne- <laughs> and you should never ever ignore the puppies and kittens posts, right?
1: <laughs> right. Right. And so it's like this, it's kind of becomes a cycle where we're just keep feeding ourselves um information that is continuing to keep us heightened and and um uh, you know and anxious.
0: Well, and also uh, you know, my basic understanding of the algorithms that um, sort of drive these uh, social media networks is that they are effectively designed to keep you outraged and keep you talking, get you in conversation, get you clicking like or, or one of those other symbols where it's like angry or whatever, um, disappointment, crying. Um, So it's a horrible sort of, it's a social experiment, really, isn't it? You know, it's sort of testing our um, our our nerve and our willpower and our mental fortitude against that of a, you know, very compelling, um, uh, you know, social media engine that we're all kind of invested in now, um, for good or for, or for bad. Um, so. I- Natasha, have you got any sort of examples that you might have experienced yourself or with colleagues of, you know, particularly tough moments that you've gone through over the last few months or even before, really, just generally, because, you know, working in bars and restaurants is is difficult at the best of times. And as you quite rightly mentioned, it's not it's not, we, we're required to put on a brave face every night, right? Because, you know, hospitality is the business we're in and and, and good service and a smile is such an important part of that. Um, so inevitably, you know, even at the best of times as as um, bartenders or as, as waiters, waitresses, we are having to bottle up some of our personal feelings and emotions of that day um, in order to hold them back from the poor guests experience because if they had to hear and see and experience all the kind of stuff that some of us go through every single day it wouldn't be much of a night out for them would it so back to my original question how, how has it been for you and, and your colleagues
2: um well it's actually been quite a roller coaster um it, it in any let's say it started when it went for like a week that we're like, okay, you know, there might be a possibility that we might shut down. Um, that We're just gonna work 50% capacity. It was all in the air. Nothing was concrete. It was just everybody talking about it. Uh, and it literally happened in one day and within hours, uh, where what it was like a Sunday or a Monday. And by the end of that day in the news, they were like, oh, restaurants are 50% capacity. Uh, and they went down to 25% capacity. And at a restaurant like where I work now, where we're only 62 seats, 25% capacity, it's, it's quite a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we took the decision not to open for a whole week to just kind of reevaluate all the possibilities. Um, but in within that day, it just felt like you can see the guests that were just a little like everybody was on edge looking at the news, talking to us about it. We're trying not to engage much in the conversation because we didn't know uh, the right information to give to our employees and to our guests because we didn't have the right information. Um, It felt, there's been a lot of grieving, for sure. I think that's the hardest part, the grieving part, because it went from like a day of like trying to figure it out to a whole week of like, we can there's a possibility that we might not ever open again uh, to, okay, no, we're gonna make this work and we gotta stay relevant and we're gonna have to engage with our guests through social media and try to, you know, like create all this positive way to have people still follow us and kind of like help them forget that we're still going through something altogether. Uh, but again, as, as people that decide to serve others, we chose to give them happiness So we are pulling all of that grieving aside and, you know, taking what we could do with the situation and and make it better. Um, But now that we're open, it you know, like it's been a lot of stress to like, I was very concerned. I'm like, I'm not working more than two days. Um, I don't want to expose myself. Um, I want to make sure that I'm healthy all the time. I want to make sure, which I still am. I want to make sure that you know, like not just physically, but mentally. Cause, because I have three months where I like worked out four times a week. I made sure I ate my right meals. I bought a bunch of plants and now I have a jungle in my house, you know, like it, it just feels so good to be in touch with myself again. And now that I'm back at work, it's like, well, if I don't do this, I don't know what I'm going to do because this is, this is, this is it for me. Mm. This is what I've chosen to do. And, and, um, and I'm not the the only person in that boat, you know. Like I know many other bartenders and many other professionals are like, you know, we we chose to to work in restaurants and bars, and and now this might change. Like I haven't actually bartended in four months. I've been making videos at home and I've been making drinks at work, but I'm serving. I keep joking. I'm like, I'm not a bartender anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, and and that feeling of like just having familiar faces coming back and, and, and having, um, new regulars just being like, I've been dying to come here and now I'm here. And after all of this, and it feels so great, but there's always that like, okay, we made it one day, you know, like now every two weeks we got to get tested. You know, if somebody like it's all this, like,
0: it's interesting because I, 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 for for a lot of, um, I think a lot of my colleagues, um, the period in which everywhere was closed was sort of more the tougher time. It was like, oh God, you know, is this this is this the new world order? Um, you know, is there a, is there a light at the end of this tunnel? Um, you know, am I, have I got enough money um, to get me through this? Is the bar I'm working for ever going to reopen again? All these kind of questions. Um, but it sounds to me like you actually had a great time. Uh, <laughs>
2: I made the best out of it, honestly. So I had a really bad breathing period. Yeah. I honestly like had like good like two, three weeks where I'm like, I don't want to go outside. I didn't go outside for a whole month. Um, I let my partner do the groceries, or so we'll just do it online. Then not go outside. I will stand on my door and look, <laughs> just look outside. And like my dog, I didn't walk my dog for a month. My partner did because I was so oh. paranoid. Uh, but then um i just had to get out of there you know and like um my i started getting a lot of gigs where i was able to work from home and that kind of brought my you know my my cinema up and i felt a little more creative and i had to like do things with what i had at home so i was like okay i'm being very resourceful okay i always complain that i don't have time to work out so work out you know and and i truly try to make the best out of a bad situation so
0: so how did you kind of break out of that sense of paranoia then what was what was the process was it just sort of like the feeling of worry slowly alleviated itself or did you actually set out to change that
2: i just spoke about it i think i was very verbal about it i just said i'm gonna take my precautions i'm i go from point a from point b i only see my neighbors and we're all very like well protected Uh, We walk our dogs together. So I kind of try to have a routine and just said it out loud that I was not going to be depressed longer. You know, like we, like in this industry, I've found myself um, getting very stressed and depressed throughout different times in my career uh, for different reasons. And one of them has always been that I feel like I never had enough time for myself. And I feel a little disconnected with my, with my inner self and, you know the things that I like to do outside of uh, work, uh, which are very little, but <laughs> because I truly love working. But um, but it was just great to just speak about it. And I decided to uh, have one of my neighbors become like my workout partner, um, and we both worked out at the park in a specific area, or we'll go to her apartment in a specific area. We all got tested, like, and and just kind of like hey, you know, we, we can't live like this. Um, we truly can. And um, we just have to keep going because, you know, like, how long is this going to last? Are we going to be this way forever, possibly? Then you're just going to have to adapt. And, you know, somebody that has lived in different parts of the country and has moved from one country to another, it's all about adapting. And, and this right now is us adapting. And it's, it's hard, but... And you know, very uh, like on your face because there was no like process of like, okay, I'm gonna prepare myself. It's like, no, this is it. You, this is a new way, and you gotta, you gotta make it work.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you, if there's one thing that humans are good at, it's adapting. Um, like, you know, we can normalize virtually any situation within, you know, a matter of weeks or months. We, it's probably the greatest attribute of our entire species, actually. I think. Um, but exercise is something you just brought up that I'm, I'm a a, a massive fan of. I I run quite a lot, um, both running for years and I, I race and, um, it's a huge part of my life. And I really got into it, um, for my mental health more than my physical. I found that it was hugely therapeutic. Um, it sort of settled my mind a little bit. It was like you know a a kind of like defragmentation of my mental hard drive um you know i could go out for a run on my own no music just breathe and enjoy a bit of nature and also that sense of like pushing yourself um physically when the run finishes mm-hmm. and it just not running of course could be cycling um could be swimming could be you know i've I, I, you know, it could be a gym, a weight session in the gym. Although I don't know, I personally feel like cardio is is a different beast altogether to uh, to that kind of stuff. Um, you know, when you finish it, you have that great endorphin rush, that sort of sense of achievement, that that feeling that you've accomplished something with your day, even if it's only like a one mile, two mile run, even if I've been out for twenty minutes, half an hour. There's that amazing a sense of accomplishment. Um, that you carry with you for the rest of the day, and that in itself becomes an addictive thing, an addictive in a good way. I mean, if you're going to be addicted to something, you might as well be running, right? Um, and um, I, I wouldn't be without it now. In fact, when I am without it, that's when I start to get, you know, real psychological um, challenges crop up because I get frustrated. I can't. I'm not out running. Um, because I keep injuring myself, of course, because I run too much. <laughs> That's The wrong way, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, Renee, what's what's your experience with sort of? Because we talked earlier about how mental problems can manifest themselves physically, and now I guess we're talking about physical therapies to manage mental health.
1: I tell all my clients that, um, especially people having trouble sleeping, that like, oh, I can't, I can't figure out why I can't sleep, and I'm like, well, you're used to being behind a bar. Uh, hauling cases, hauling ice, walking back and forth, go, you know, every, you know, in this industry is very physical, like you had said at the beginning. And so to think that, you know, people were getting that kind of exercise, that endorphin rush sometimes just, just at work. And now, um, you know, I tell clients, I'm like, and now what are you, you know, you, you've you been sitting on the couch, you've been, you know, um, sitting on the couch or sitting in a, a lawn chair, you know, like, just like basically a lot of like sitting around. And so, you know, your body is missing that any sort of physical exertion. And so I think that for, in my experience, people in this industry that do find a physical outlet, whether it's in running or cycling or having a workout routine, um, it, they do feel they sleep better. They have a healthier diet, which contributes to your emotional, um, kind of affect. Uh, and, but even, even the people that don't have those routines they still do you know this because it's such a physically demanding industry they still are getting some of that in their work and then to have it all kind of be taken away Hmm. um i think just increases um you know natasha like you were saying like that that initial kind of depression i think that a lot of the majority of people in this industry kind of felt when everything closed down like that it's like you have to think of all of the contributing factors like oh yeah i'm not getting the energy output i'm i'm not um getting the kind of boost from making somebody's day or from giving good service you know you're not getting all of those things that your job normally affords you and so um so now yeah people especially people like you know here in new orleans that aren't going back to work right now because they can't um that has been kind of i don't want to say i i'm not a doctor so i don't write prescriptions right but i have been saying like you need to do some more stuff for your body you know you need to get you need to get moving again because you've basically taken away that entire uh, coping mechanism without even thinking about it.
0: Yeah, because I mean, it's and it's not just like taking away the physical activity, but the purpose in general, right? It's like you haven't got a job to go to. There's no kind of end goal to this day. You don't pro- probably have a list of items that you need to tick off so that you can you know, target your attention towards how you're going to tick those things off and then sort of give yourself a pat on the back once you've done it it's you're kind of constantly drifting along a very kind of level linear um, experience of your world rather than having you know peaks and troughs that allow you to sort of experience the full emotional uh spectrum of of what it's like to be living
1: i think natasha kind of hit it on the head earlier too this idea that she's like am i not even a bartender anymore this idea of how ingrained our identities are to our profession in this industry and And like how um, we get so much social output through that stuff that that, yeah, now without like a sense of purpose, it's like there's also kind of an existential crisis sort of where it's like, Mm. well, am I if I'm not going to work every day, what is important if I'm not if I don't have this, uh, this identity to hold on to? What does that mean for me? What you know, that's that's heavy stuff
0: yeah yeah. (laughs) indeed um you're right i mean it's a very social environment if you're you're maybe you're used to interacting with four or five hundred people on any given day over a bar bar counter and conversing with them getting to know them a little bit experiencing their happiness feeling gratified that you may have been in some way a part of that feeling for them Mm
2: -hmm. and then
0: suddenly you know, you're in your apartment with Netflix and social media and, you know, that's a massive chunk of your life to be listening. It's not, not missing. It's not just your job. It's because bartending is a lifestyle profession. There's no doubt about it. Um, anyone working in hospitality, it's a li- lifestyle profession. So you mentioned also food. Um, and of course, one of the great things about exercising or doing anything positive for yourself is that you're then, I think, less inclined to... To counteract that effect with with negative things, um, you know, you don't want to go out and run a marathon and then the next day, next week, just eat junk food because you know that you've done something great for yourself and you feel like, well, it's a, you know on a route to improvement, perhaps, and you don't want to undo all of that great work, you don't undo your fitness. <laughs> um, and so, it, it it feels to me like one good um, sort of practice, whether that's you know mindfulness, meditation um, yoga or cardio sort of tends to lead to other ones as well. I, I find myself much more, um, you know, careful about what I put in my body because I know that I want my body to perform when I need it to.
1: Yeah. And back to that idea of attention bias, right? Like if your attention is going to, uh, your health and your physical wellbeing, um, then you're going to be more apt to pay attention to things that support that, um, that support that thought
0: Mine.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah um natasha do you do, practice any sort of like mindfulness techniques or breathing or anything like that
2: i suffer a massive anxiety so i i kind of have to um so right before I, I i love lifting weights i love uh doing like super intense workouts but i make a point of having um a at least 10 to 15 minutes of breathing exercising Uh, after my workouts, uh, mostly because my heart is rushing and then, you know, I just want to come down and it's a great time to, like, stretch. Um, But even when I don't get to those days of intense workout, I give myself at least 10 minutes of stretching. Um, If my partner is home, I put my headphones on and I kind of just try to, like, be in my own space, turn off the lights, and, you know, she hates it, but... I turned off all the lights and I just kinda like the sand. Um, and I started I started doing yoga years ago um, because of the amount of stress that I was going through. And I started doing hot yoga because I can feel how like in a hot room I felt like anger was just coming out. Uh, and you know, just my body sweating and, and that physical um, almost like like release was actually helping my 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 inner self. So Now that I cannot go to hot yoga, I've been doing it at home so often that I just feel like I might not go back to hot yoga. (laughs) And I actually really enjoy it at home.
0: So you don't put your partner through like having to turn off the AC and like heating up your apartment?
2: Well, you know what? (laughs) I was convinced that I couldn't do a lot of things uh, that I did in that hot room because I needed the heat. And now I'm like, my body is flexible. I can make this work. You know, I was just keep practicing uh, instead of like putting my body through this extreme heat and then uh, before those joints and muscles to like be able to stretch.
0: Oh, so that's interesting. So you'd kind of applied a mental limitation to your body in your head.
2: I, I don't think just, you know, doing yoga or like meditation is the only way in the and in the right way to just um, achieve some kind of like calm, Um, I like, I love doing martial arts. I strongly suggest to like shadow box. That's a great way. Like, you know, if you want to like, just feel like strong, that's something that always helps me when I'm feeling a little insecure. Um, I make sure I shadow box before my workout. And and that just makes me feel like, just like, all right, you got this. Come on. Like, you're going to get this workout. You're going to do this. You're going to shower. You're going to go to work. You're going to kill it. And you're going to come home and you're going to sleep. (laughs)
0: it's interesting isn't it because sometimes um you know i think any of these sort of physical um processes like or or well-being strategies be it running or or shadow boxing or or breathing it's not necessarily the physical process of it that has the effect it's it's almost like it's a trigger for a certain mindset it's like uh, an access point something that you have to do like a ritual that gets you to that Mm -hmm. mental place where you need to be in order to tackle the task at hand.
1: If you think about breathing exercises too, in terms of how, um, a lot of us do it and we don't even know that we're doing it, especially at work, right? So when somebody goes out to have like a smoke break, um,
0: Mm. what
1: they are really doing is they're stepping outside and breathing. (laughs) Yeah. But really what it is, is like giving yourself this like dedicated time and space, to decompress a little. And and when we do deep breathing, we lower our blood pressure and we lower our heart rate down. So if you are in this kind of anxious mode, even at work, um, you know, what you do is, you know, you're you're anxious, 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 you go out and you take some deep breaths in a dedicated intentional space. And that lower blood pressure, that lowered heart rate kind of tells your brain, you're not in danger, there is no threat, you know, because that's what that anxiety response is for. And so I love, the, I love that you spend that time because if you train yourself, we're creatures of habit, right? So if you train yourself to start doing these deep breath, breathing exercises, it becomes so second nature when you are in a situation where you need them.
0: Yeah, it's a great point in the smoke break. I'd never thought about it that way. Um, but it's so true, isn't it? And you wonder then how much of that smoke break is down to a kind of chemical alleviation of stress, and how much of it is down to that ritual of breathing and taking yourself aside? And you know, take the cigarette out of the equation. Would actually just going out and standing there and taking those deep breaths have a similar or same effect?
1: I I would argue that it would, hmm. uh, and I actually I, I tell a lot of um, my clients and that are in the industry. I said, you don't have to be a smoker to take a smoke break. Hmm. You can step outside. You can step into a from stall and just give yourself some quiet and some peace for a minute
0: it's funny though isn't it I've, yeah. I, I, I've i've worked in places uh with smokers before and it's sometimes seen as a good way of getting getting a break which non-smokers don't have much to the much to the uh, hatred of the non-smokers but you're right i mean that <laughs> you're a non-smoker i'm just gonna go out and take a break why what are you doing uh you know <laughs> have you actually got something to do while you're on this break i'm gonna breathe okay uh, yeah. but no it's yeah. something that it's to- totally a totally legit reason to have a have a uh, take five minutes and and reset and you know what if uh, if your employer is uncomfortable with that then remind them that this is going to make you perform better right and it's going to keep you happy and healthy and uh, and ready to go when you come back in
2: yeah i think it's really important to have that conversation with your employers um, um i used to work at a big restaurant where we had like a lot of people that smoke and it was like smoke breaks and i'm like do i have to become a smoker to take a <laughs> smoke break um but now you know like i Like many things in my life, I made a change with even with my employers to make sure that where I'm working, I'm happy and I can have a good communication with them. And it's become a thing like, hey, like anyone that needs a break to go breathe is fine. Like our GMs and the owners are super understanding and they're like, okay, the situation is happening. Do you need a break? Do you need five minutes to go outside and go around the block? Good. Go take it. You know, because we all need it. At the end of the day, we all need it. Um, so I'm, I'm glad like the mentality of this industry about being so much like work, work, work um, has switched a little bit to like being conscious about your mm-hmm. body and mental health because it's translating into every single other thing in my life. Like if I have a good relationship with my bosses and they allow me to take as simple as a break for me to breathe, I'm already so much more happy coming to work the next day.
1: Yeah. Knowing that you have an, that you have an out and that you have support is so important. And like, if anything, the, if anything good has come out of this, uh, pandemic is I think that people are really starting to, especially specifically in our bar and hospitality industry, people are really starting to pay a lot more attention to the needs of their employees beyond pay, right? To Actual physical and mental needs um, and emotional needs of their employees, which is something, in my opinion, that the industry has needed to shifted to, to shift towards um, for a long time now. And it and it is really encouraging to hear. Uh, I see a couple, you know, I see some places doing it down here in New Orleans, and it's really encouraging to hear that out there in New York that uh, they're on the same page too. That it's
2: starting to shift slowly. That's great. Yeah, I'm a very big like when I hear anyone from other places like telling me like yeah, this kind of things don't happen at my job. I'm like, well, but you got to talk to your boss because if you're happy, then that means more money in general (laughs) because you're just going to be performing better. So it just like, I don't know, like a lot of people are doing it, but obviously we need to keep pushing for this kind of conversation. So everybody does it, you know, and it's not just for bartenders and servers and managers for the dishwasher that is working, you know, from before service until after everybody leaves, you know?
1: Well, and I, and I heard you in there talking about kind of boundary setting too, which I think is another important thing to talk about in this conversation where you're like, I'm not going to work for somebody. I've made it very clear to my boss that this is what I need in order to perform at my best. And I think that the more people that I think demand is a strong word, but I think it's accurate. The more people that demand that Mm -hmm. kind of work environment in this industry Uh, and the more normalizing normalized it becomes for for people to set those boundaries like yeah i'm a hard worker i will work my butt off for you uh and these are the things that i need and this is what i will do and this is what i won't do and i won't work without a break for eight hours i'm if, if i need to go have a have a moment i'm gonna have to have go have it you know
2: yeah boundaries are definitely very important and i had to learn the hard way to set boundaries and you know and once you set them, there's a, there's a whole nother level of respect and a whole nother level of like, you know, union in between your bosses and the staff, etc. Um, which, you know, makes me so happy that I've been able to work with a group of individuals that allow me to, you know, set boundaries and respect my boundaries and vice versa.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's so important to have conversations about these things um, because, you know, employer, employee may have different expectations, um, obviously, you know, you have things like, um, you know, what the responsibilities of an employee is set out in a job description, but you don't tend to have the responsibilities of an employer set out in the job description. Um, and, you know, with, unless there's a discussion, unless there's an honest conversation about what those responsibilities entail, then it's kind of unlikely, really, that they're going to be met, you know, comfortably from both sides. There's likely to be a deficit there. Um And you know, unless you've got an employer that really kind of you know is on the ball and is 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 almost overcompensating for perhaps what's missing from the rest of the industry, and in which case you're very fortunate. So I think honest conversations is key there. Um, Just going back to sort of coping strategies, um, Rene, I wondered. You know, we we've talked a lot about different strategies. uh, You know, breathing, mindfulness um natasha mentioned you know yoga and stretching and um shadow boxing and i talked about running now eating as well you know we kind of everyone's aware that these things are good for you we know that you know even someone who's having a really rough time of it who doesn't do any of these things um you know is on the lawn chair eating pizza um knows that these are the things they should be doing the, the really real big question here is how do you actually start doing them what is the best way to kind of start creating great habits for yourself?
1: Um, that is an excellent question. And if there was a, a, a miracle answer, I wish I had it, because I'd be rich beyond my wildest dreams right now. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think that habit is exactly kind of the right word. We are creatures of habit. We learn through repetition. Um, just like, you know, you know, you start doing five push push-ups a day and you do them every day. And by the third week, you can now do seven push push-ups, And then by the seventh week, you can do 10. Just like you build muscles um, and you need repetition to do that. Um, it's, it's the same with habits. Right. And so recognizing that a lot of the habits we formed, um, I'm going to refer to them as coping mechanisms. Right. They they served a purpose. They did something for us. And they probably did a really good job of it for a long time and through as we grow and change though we outgrow some of those coping mechanisms and we need to we need to develop new ones but we can't expect that we're just going to do something one time um and that we're and and that it's going to become a habit we can't expect that it's going to be necessarily easy even right i think that it really comes down to intention and this idea that if your intention is to Change your lifestyle, or to maybe augment it, or add something, or take something away. That you have to. We, it requires practice. Uh, nobody got behind the bar the first day and, uh, you know, did everything perfectly and didn't drop anything. Or, mm-hmm. You know, um, and and you know, it's taken us uh, some of us, you know, decades to to kind of perfect um, our style and our and our service style. And just like that, um, we've spent decades developing these unhealthy, let's say, or I don't even want to say unhealthy. I feel like that's too much. Just uh, d- these developing these coping mechanisms that have outlived their use, right? Mm. They're like, they're now unhelpful. They're now, unhelpful. Thank you. Yeah, perfect. And and so and so you know thinking about all the time that we spent you know perfecting those unhelpful coping mechanisms, it's not going to take necessarily the exact same amount of time to start something new, but it is going to take intention um, and dedication to really making something a part of your life is just doing it over and over and over again, until it becomes second nature, like this other stuff is. Mm. I, I hate saying because I know it's a hard it's a hard way to, you know, Yeah, there's no
0: easy way of answering it. And of course, it takes it takes it takes, you know, you have to take action to actually create these habits that don't come around naturally. Unfortunately, bad habits seem to come around more easily than good ones. Um, <laughs> Probably because we're we're humans and we sort of tend to take the path of least resistance. But I read a great book recently, actually called Atomic Habits, and it was all about building great habits. And the way the author described it, and I'm probably going to mess this up, but I'll give it a go, is you need to look at what the goal is that you're trying to achieve, and then create the habits that are going to allow you to get there. So if I want to, um, you know, if I want to run a two hour thirty marathon. I don't, the habit is not like, right, try and run two-hour, three-marathon. The, the habit is to get into a process of training that's going to allow me to eventually meet that goal. And and then to to sort of instigate the habit, his advice is that you need to kind of start making it part of the routine of your day. Make it an almost impulsive reaction to a particular point in time or to, you know, some other event that's occurred. So like, for example, um, like I put vitamins on my desk, rather than in, in my like, you know, in my in my bathroom, because if I put them in my bathroom, I'll just kind of forget about them. But uh, it, when they're on my desk, they're sat right in front of me, like they're impossible to ignore. So it means that I take vitamins every single day. I mean, you don't have to take vitamins, it's up to you. But that's just one example. um and like with with um with running what i do is i've i've learned that the best time for me to run is in the morning and it's just after i've had a cup of coffee but no food so what happens now is i get up i already have the habit of making coffee because that's just like essential basically i'm not going to function without caffeine um and with the taste of coffee in my mouth there's a trigger there where i know that it means i should be putting on running shoes um and if i don't do that then actually i have quite a weird reaction to it I know that something's not right I should be going out running at this point because I can taste coffee in my mouth and that's the next stage of the day so it becomes I mean it almost sounds like a bad habit doesn't it it sounds, sounds impulsive and addictive <laughs> and weird but of course it's a habit that's engineered to do good for me rather than bad
1: yeah and, and you know I think that it also like just to, to, uh, to blanket all of that which is totally accurate it was I've read that book and it was great great synopsis
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> well i don't know about that but yeah <laughs> i tried <laughs>
1: um, but but this idea of kind of like um self-compassion and uh, like a blanket over all of it um and this just uh, the idea that we're we don't live in an all or nothing world we don't live in a polarized world right like life is not lived in the extremes as much as it's lived in the middle and so um to go to the extreme of of you know let's say, yeah, running every day. And then one day you don't do it and you just start getting really hard on yourself. Cause you know, it's like, Oh, I'm, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I should be doing this. What's wrong with me that I'm not like, okay, well maybe it's not realistic that every single day of your life, every single day of the week you would run. So to give yourself that compassion of like, Hey man, you know, I had a really long day at work yesterday, or I had a really emotional conversation with my partner yesterday. And, and maybe today I'm not going to run right away or maybe I'll take a walk instead or, Mm. you know, and just to kind of like, yes, everything you said and blanket it with some self-compassion and, uh, and allowing yourself to not have to do it all the time.
0: I think you've definitely recognized like a character flaw in me there, um, which is totally true. Um, I have a habit, another habit, see of setting myself quite lofty goals. um, And not really preparing myself for failure in any way at all. So, um, and, and what that means is I might not necessarily meet the goal that I've set out to do, but I might, I might get 75% of the way or 80% or even 95% and actually from an outsider looking in probably quite successful, you know, in that, whatever that specific goal is. So I, I probably set my targets too high and never prepare to fail but often have to set on something short of perfection. In fact, usually short of perfection. I mean, let's be honest here, no no one does anything perfectly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I I think that that is a really common trait in our industry uh, because we are, I mean, I think that perfectionism, you know this the idea of like world-class service right giving making making sure everybody has had the best experience possible this idea of perfectionism i think is really prevalent in our industry and and all the people that work in it and so um settling for settling right for um something a little less than perfect can be a really big blow uh ego to self-esteem to self-worth um but but I we talked about it earlier. This idea of like managing your expectations, because the reality is, is we are all just human. We are human. Our our employers are human. Our customers are human. And as human beings, we like there is no perfect, right?
0: Mm. But the expectations are all out of whack, aren't they? Because we're kind of we're all watching each other's highlights reels um, on our social media feeds, and that that totally skews expectation because you know go back 20 years um you know your expectation is i guess sort of managed by yourself and your own experiences and to some extent what you see in your friends uh, and colleagues around you which is a pretty small data set so you know at that point you can assume you know that there's lots more things going on in the world and other people that you're not subjected to doing their thing but with the way that social media is now and we're 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 seeing everything our friends and colleagues do, but then all these other people, influencers, celebrities, like uh, every hour, um, it it really it, it it sets expectations for a lot of people that are just way too high and impossible to achieve. Because it, the reality of it is that what you're seeing on social media often isn't a good, you know, representation of of reality. It's distorted. It's got a filter over it, you know.
1: I think that's such a great point: is recognizing that nobody is perfect. Nobody has got it all together. Even if they act like they do, they're lying, you know, and they might be lying to themselves too. Um, And just, I, I I feel like self compassion is the number one, um, like coping mechanism to strive for, if you will, uh, because it's really just like giving ourselves a break, like we're, we're all doing pretty great considering what's going on right now in the world. And especially at the high level of achievement that we are all used to in this industry, like, we're doing fine. We really are, whether we get up and run or whether we take the day off and, you know, uh, make a pizza instead.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Nice. That's a great bit of advice, self-compassion. And and also, I think, like, gratification as well, being grateful for what you've got, um, recognizing the great things, not getting caught up in the things that you don't have. It's such an important lesson that I'm still trying to teach myself daily. Um, What about you know, other people around us, what can we do if we see people suffering, colleagues, friends? um, What you know, are there there any... Because you've got to be careful, haven't you? You don't want to kind of just, you know, steamroll into someone like, hey, I can see you're down um, because that can make them feel worse and then start dishing out, you know, advice. You should do this, you should do that because... When they don't take the advice, then they might feel uncomfortable and like they're a bit of, you know, that might make, send them even to even deeper hole. So, what can we, how, first of all, how can we recognize when people are suffering? And then, what are the best ways to deal with that?
1: Recognizing, I think, is just, you know, trying to pay attention back to recognizing stuff in your own self. You know, if you notice somebody is um, maybe indulging more than they normally do, or maybe they are, you know, obvious signs of like crying in a bathroom stall or, but just somebody is not acting as they, as they normally would. Uh, checking in with them, you know. I think that, that something else that's kind of coming out of this is the, the re- we're reducing the stigma in our industry of having emotional difficulties. Um, and so, I think asking people, hey, but not asking them out of obligation. Like if you don't really care, then don't ask. You know. <laughs> like, um, mm. But but if you, if you really care about your colleague and or you know. And you and you think something's up, asking, but just listening, you know, um, without judgment too. Trying like back to like kind of self compassion and non judgment go hand in hand. Self compassion and non judgment of other people and non judgment of ourselves. And I think that you know checking in with somebody and saying like, hey, are you doing okay? Are you all right? I've noticed X, Y, or Z because then that shows that you actually are paying attention. It's not just lip service. Like, hey, I've noticed you know the last like. Um, three tables, you didn't write your little heart under your exclamation mark that you normally do on your check or something small, you know, just like, and, and, and just to say, like, I've noticed this is something going on. Um, and then just listening to somebody like the just being able to, to get it out uh, can be so helpful. And I think that like just listening and not putting judgments on people for how they're feeling or how they should be feeling and just letting them feel the way that they feel. And, um, you know, Brene Brown does a great, um, kind of meme online where, you know, there's somebody sitting in a dark hole and, and there's like, you know, somebody peeks over and like, Hey, you doing all right down there? You need anything? You want a sandwich? Like, let me throw a sandwich down there for you. And the difference between that and actually just crawling down into the hole with somebody and being like, damn, it's pretty dark in here. You know, like this, this is a really dark place and just letting them know that, that you, that you can go there with them and that they're not alone in it is just so important.
0: Yeah. I think that it's great that, one of the one of the good things about this situation is that you're right. Some of the stigma has been removed because it's sort of accepted that everyone's suffering a little bit on some level, and and then then you know that's that's that first step, um, you know, accomplished, and then it just requires the conversation afterwards. But you know, again, going back to social media and how we sort of live our lives online, and especially within hospitality, um, it's a tough one, I think, for some some people to have those conversations because we are, you know. A part of our job is to be outwardly happy, and and for many, uh, you know, bar people who work in bars and restaurants, um, you know, it, we 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 also portray that through through social media too. You know, it's it's pictures, of, you know, having a great time at work, or you know, this drink I've just made, or this wonderful food item on the menu, or you know, this staff trip here, or enjoying this cocktail. Just made this cocktail, um, and so to sort of accept that actually you know what it's not all rosy um is quite a big thing for for a lot of people I mean in, in, in any walk of life but I don't know I feel like even more so in in, a, in, an, in an industry where we we you know we have to put on a brave face um even if we're having a bad day yeah you got any experience with this Natasha or with colleagues
2: so what I've noticed I do it myself as well um it's there with you know, the whole movement of being a lot more vocal about mental health, everybody's trying to be more open about it to kind of take that stigma out. Um, so I've noticed a lot of colleagues and friends and uh, just industry friends that have become a lot more vocal about their struggles. Um, and I take the time to check in when they're vocalizing. that. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Because when I share something about mental health, sometimes it's because I am going through something and I'm just telling myself and maybe, you know, like this is a good reminder, you know, like somebody out there might be feeling the same way that I feel. Um, And I am a true like like cancer. I feel everything. (laughs) Uh, So when somebody like, I can hear on people's voices when they're not kind of like their selves or, or that like happy self, and I'm that person who's always asking, like, "Are you okay? Like, do you need a minute? How are you doing? <laughs> um, I just checking in. I mean, I um, I don't try to be anybody's like psychologist or psychiatrist or anything like that. There's a you know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong but just try to be their friend. I mean, I spend so much time at work and with the people that I work here that they're my family, you know, and I notice these things just like I would notice with my partner or my or my mom, you know, like if something's a little off, I immediately check in with them and, and I just make a point to let them know that I'm here, I'm truly here. And like, let's sit down. Do you want to talk about it? You don't, don't worry. I got you. I'll take care of these tables, you know? Um, but it's it's a really touchy situation to help others um because sometimes when you're being helped you don't feel like that's sometimes not what you want like I'm very much like you can also leave me alone like I'm much better if you leave me alone <laughs> I much just much rather go home and like look at a wall <laughs> um but but yeah I think checking in is it's important just like Asking truly, how are you? And I think now that everyone is going through the same thing because we're all going through the same thing. Um, one of my conversations like before it's like, Where do you work? Now it's like, Oh, what do you do? And now it's like, How are you doing? You know, like is your family okay? Are you okay? Are you talking to them? When are you gonna see your parents? Most of us in New York. Most of our families don't live here. We're from other parts of the country or parts of the uh, um, different towns, et cetera. So it's just, you know, I know that most of us cannot see our parents because we don't want to expose them to anything. So that, that starts to, to take a toll on you as well. So I, I check in the same way that I would like somebody to check in on me. And sometimes I don't because I know that I like to be alone sometimes.
1: <laughs> Something I just really wanted to um, just go back really quickly and, and say, you know, we we're talking about helping out coworkers and um and, and recognizing things and, and something Natasha said, uh, that, I, she, well, that I, you know, completely forgot about, but I think it's really important is just normalizing the fact that everybody is feeling a certain way, like, um, you guys both mentioned it, like, everybody's kind of going through this, but I think that we can so often feel isolated in our own emotional kind of turmoil. Um, and hearing somebody else, uh, you know, some, one of my colleagues on Facebook one day, um, uh, one of my bar colleagues kind of put out there like, Hey, Hey everybody. I just wanted you all to know, like, you know, I've been putting on a really happy face, but for about a month and a half now, I've been in a really pretty steady depression and I'm finally coming out of it. And I just want to let everybody know that like, you're not alone if you're feeling that way too. And this is really hard. And I think that, you know, just hearing some people talk about what they're going through, um, helps other people not feel overwhelmed by it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so besides sort of talking to each other, who uh, who else can people talk to? I mean, you guys are in the US. I, I don't know if there's like, you know, healthcare professionals who are available um, to talk to. Um, but, you know, beyond kind of our, you know, close family and work colleagues, perhaps some people don't want to talk to someone they know about their, their struggles and their issues. So what would be the advice in that case, Renee?
1: Uh, I would I would say to reach out for therapy um, I know especially I know New Orleans right now is actually like offering free counseling the city is offering free counseling for people through this um, uh, there's like a hotline you can call um, <clears throat> I know that in uh, a lot of mental health professionals have been stepping up and creating uh, low cost to no cost groups um, specifically for industry people um, or musicians or gig workers like kind of the the traditionally like overlooked populations, if you will. Um, And, uh, you know, there's online groups. Um, You can do a Google search for like uh, online group uh, therapy in whatever area you're in, or there's 12 step meetings are all online now. Now that's, you know, uh, a little different than just managing stress, but I'm just saying to kind of give an example, like there's with Mm. this new kind of technological age, uh therapy is now you can do um online you can um you can do group therapy online there's some support groups that are out there I really I you know can't stress to people enough uh, you know I tell clients even if you don't necessarily want to participate in the group just being online and hearing how other people are dealing with it back to this normalizing. Um, you know, I tell clients, I'm like, just go sit and see if you can find a group and sit in it, give it two or three tries just to sit without even having to feel like you have to say anything. And, and I, I could, I can't guarantee it'll make you feel better, but for most people, uh, just even hearing other people be how other people are able to talk about their feelings and what's going on with them helps you kind of get a handle on how you're thinking and feeling about the stuff
0: Mm. i know i keep on vilifying social media but i suppose it's one of the uh, one of the ways in which um it can really help as well is is through online groups like this and you know if you can and i I suppose you can do it anonymously as well if you if you you know if you want to um you know keep it keep this, this sort of thing contained and feel that it's better for you to to not have to know tell your whole life story and that kind of thing then then there's, there's opportunity to do that in many different ways on the internet
1: yeah and i think that for our industry because we are such public figures it's hard like there's back to kind of stigma i've you know what i've heard is like I, i'm not going to go in a group and maybe one of my bar customers going to be in there or somebody's going to see my you know face and and there's ways around that i think um, even forming support groups within the industry you know um me i you know as as a mental health professional i've got a group of colleagues who once a month we have a zoom meeting just for us to kind of talk about how we're feeling um you know that's something Mm. that if you know that you we can all create for ourselves too uh it just takes back to that idea of intention you know
0: great natasha final question for you um what advice would you give to um managers um to help support teams in this current situation
2: um i think reaching out is very important like even i know a lot of places you can rehire your whole staff but uh, just giving a call uh checking in once in a while um asking what they need um as restaurants and bars we're able to get uh resources like food and um uh, just like Anything that we could possibly get, which is usually food, it, it helps. A lot of people cannot buy a lot of stuff for their families. A lot of people are not making any money. Um, so I think that gives a peace of mind. Um, I I truly appreciate when I was given a call like a month after everything happened and, you know, they were just calling me to see how I was. And, you know, nothing like, hey, not not work-related, just truly checking in. Um, and if they are working, give them everything that you can give them as, you know, protection. Like if they, if you can give them every resource, you know, like this is a clinic that you can go get tested. This is somebody that you can talk to. Uh, this is where we can order food for cheaper so you can bring home. This is, you know, just all the resources you can give given to them. Uh, I think the, the, the like, yes, sir, moment with guests kind of has to be paused a little bit right now. And we have to put a lot more priority on our teams. Um, so just kind of like pausing that. And and now it's staff first, because uh, without a staff, you won't have a business.
0: All right. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. You've both been um, really insightful. Um, some great tips and advice and some great insight into you know, what's actually going on on the front line of hospitality. Uh, it's been you know, really wonderful chat and I, I hope that it's helpful to, to anyone listening. It's definitely been helpful to me. Um, so appreciate your, your time and um, look forward to seeing you again in the future.
2: Thank you. I, I honestly love this
1: opportunity. I'm so glad we're finally talking about all this stuff.
0: Thank you for tuning into today's episode of Bar Chat. Visit diageobaracademy.com for access to more podcast episodes and exclusive content. See you next time.